0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is Joseph Part 4, Reunited in Goshen. We've been talking about the Joseph story in the last three Bible studies and looking at this long episode in uh, Genesis. And tonight is the conclusion of this part about Joseph because he's finally reunited with his family and they all come to live in Goshen, which was a special, actually, Sort of a prime piece of real estate in the, in the heart of Egypt that was given over to uh, Joseph's family when they came down to Egypt. This is the Spirit and Life Bible Study. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Immanuel Swedenborg, 1688 to 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are Spirit and they are life. Spirit, meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. So uh, let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? Would you be willing to join me? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name. We thank you for your word, for all the layers, all the mystery that lies within it, all the truth and the love that you hope to communicate to us through it. We pray that we are able to open our minds and hearts to your message, Lord, and we thank you for speaking with us and leading us on the way. Amen. Thank you all for coming and sending out greetings to those of you online, those of you getting the audio feed and so forth, the podcast and everything. Greetings to you and blessings on you. So this Joseph story has really been fascinating to me from the fact that he is an Israelite and yet he rises up through the Egyptian system and becomes the second most important person in Egypt. And... uh, this picture, let me go immediately to this graphic that I put forward last time that you may have seen on the audio. It's a, a picture of an Israelite on the top, which is what Joseph is inside, and then an Egyptian on the outside, which is how he appears to the world. And I was thinking in the intervening week since we last met that this is a picture of a being... A person of heaven on the inside and a person of the world on the outside, is it not? It's a wonderful picture. I referenced last time the fact that Jesus uh, speaks negatively of people who are uh, sheep on the outside but are inwardly ravening wolves. Uh, What's bad about that is not that you're two, but that you're bad on the inside. You know, that's what's not good about that. Uh, this is a fine thing to be, a useful thing to be. Swedenborg has a passage in which he says uh, that ideally we are an angel on the level of the angels. You know, when we go up to the highest level of our minds, we interact with angels as an angel. And then in the middle level where we deal with the world, we're like an angelic person dealing with the world. So we're a little bit, ideally, you approach it in an angelic way and not just sort of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth or something. You, you come from a higher level. And then when we go down into our basement and deal with the evil spirits and all that, we deal with them as a person of the world. So at the top level, you're the same. And at, at the other levels, you're kind of a step above what's going on kind of thing. And so that was very interesting to me to think about being Joseph inwardly and zaphnath Paneah on the outside, uh, that this is a picture of being heavenly on the inside, but being absolutely worldly, very convincingly worldly on the outside. Um, so I think, I think that's a wonderful picture, uh, like a picture of dual citizenship in effect, You know, where you have something on the inside that's of heaven and something on the outside that is very much of this world. Let's read some more of this story, shall we? Let's start in Genesis uh, chapter 45. I just want to overlap slightly with what we did last time, and I try to make these Bible studies such that you don't have to have been here last time. Hopefully each one is a freestanding thing. But in Genesis chapter 45 all the way in the left of your Bible, I want to show you, uh, let's read verses 14 and 15 again where he's finally reunited with his brother, Benjamin, the only other child of their mother, Rachel. Um, And here's where they get together finally after years of effort on Joseph's part to get back together again.
1: Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck.
0: Okay, now uh, I need to say something about that, which is that you have this image of reciprocal <clears throat> conjunction, what Swedenborg refers to as reciprocal conjunction, which is such an, such an important part. When you think about uh, scripture, quite often says that the end game is for us to be in the Lord and the Lord to be in us. You know, I will come in to them and dine with them and they with me. Uh, you don't need, do you need the second part? You know, the, isn't it enough to say God would be with you? But it's important that God's with us and we're with God. And I, I've got a collection in the back of my Bible of passages that speak of this reciprocal connection because it's very important that it goes both ways. So it's not enough that Joseph hugs Benjamin, but Benjamin needs to hug Joseph. Joseph. You know, Both of those things need to happen. And what this is a picture of is um, those of you who've read Swedenborg's older translations from a century ago uh, will have a deep fondness and affection for the phrase, the celestial, the spiritual, the spiritual, the celestial. Uh, However, you might understand how that is opaque to some people. Um, uh, The way that I try to parse that and understand it is that um, there's a couple of ways that I think about it. But that Joseph represents, uh, there's, there's an inside and an outside. And how do you bring the inside and the outside together? As you know, we're talking about Easter coming up on Easter, and the tremendous thing that happened at Easter was that the divine, the soul that was present in Jesus, was united with the body to such a tremendous degree that everything of the body disappeared from the tomb. And that's what we're talking about. How do you, how do you unite? I mean, they're so ill-matched. You know, when you're trying to dock something with the space station or something, they need to be the right size, and they need to be, everything needs to go together to to have two things come together like that. Uh, How on earth are you going to get infinity and a tiny little finite? You know, how is that going to work? How are you going to get those two together? And an important part of it is that the inside needs to have an outside part of it. Joseph is called the spiritual of the celestial, which means that he is the truth that comes from love, and love is on the inside, and then there's an outermost part of that inside. And Benjamin is so important because he's the innermost part of the outside. He's the part of the outside that can connect with that inside. This is even depicted in the Holy Land, if you can kind of picture it in your mind. I wish I had a a map at all times here that I could show you. But uh, actually, interestingly, the north, the northern kingdom... Of Israel represents the mind, and the Southern Kingdom represents the heart. Judah and so on is the is the heart. Ephraim or Israel, referred to by various names, means the mind. And Benjamin is on the side of the mind, but he's all the way at the southernmost part, right up against Judah you know he's right and the lord is born right there in bethlehem right there at that joining point where the heart and the mind meet mm-hmm. and so when joseph falls on his brother's neck benjamin's neck and benjamin falls on his neck and they weep this is finally something of the outside and that is good enough you know that it can connect with the inside and the inside has come down enough that it can connect with the outside and they and they meet there and that's really in a sense uh, one way of looking at this is that Genesis 45, verse 14, is a picture of what happened at an innermost level with Easter. You know, that's what was going on, the divine and the human meeting there and being united uh, forever. Okay, and then right after that, that enabled him to uh, have a closer relationship with all the other brothers. They they were the two sons of one mother, but there were ten others in the family. And let's read verse 15 now.
1: Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him.
0: Yes, he used to be hidden from them because they just took him as a harsh Egyptian and, and, and they, they didn't know who he really was. But now he's connected with them in a different way. Okay, let's read on from there.
1: Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well.
0: And I must say, I'm very impressed with Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh just is amazing. Like how many world rulers would have a dream that they can't understand, and on the basis of one prisoner telling you what the dream means, make them the number two in your kingdom. All right, you're being elevated. (laughs) And not only have a commitment to him, but uh, I don't know if we'll read all that part tonight, but he, He has the entire nation mourn for 70 days, I think, when Joseph's father dies and and offers him all these carts, as we'll see, to go get everybody down from there. Uh, Pharaoh just really gets on board with the Joseph thing very quickly and very thoroughly. Go on.
1: And Pharaoh said to to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Mm. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt.
0: That's important. That's Goshen. It's reunited in Goshen. I'll give you the best of the what's he doing? It's amazing. He's given the best of the land of Egypt.
1: And okay. you and you will eat the fat of the land. Uh huh. Now you were commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come.
0: Yes. So again, do you see out of just it may be very vague in, in our minds but uh, Egyptian carts are bringing Israelites, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the weaving together of these two things. So now Egyptian carts are going up. They're going to bring them back now. And this has to do with uh, everything about Egypt has something to do with, with knowledge and also this uh, world and so forth. And so it's, some, it's a vessel that's created uh, one of the things that this is, is like all through our lives, we're learning things. We go to school and so on. And then when we become more spiritual and when the Lord moves in in a different way, he's able to find all these neat things in our minds that we learned. Like, oh, yeah, see, look, there's that and there's that. These are carts that he can bring this, this spirituality down into our outer lives with, which is what's going on here. Go on.
1: Also, do not be concerned about your goods, For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours.
0: I like the reading of the Old King James. Regard not your stuff. (laughs) I think that's good. Go on.
1: Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments.
0: If you were around last time or if you're familiar with the story, when they sat down to dinner, Benjamin got five times as much food as anybody else. So here's another five times as much. And that's because Benjamin is this part that he can really connect with. Go on.
1: And he sent to his father these, thi- these things. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt uh-huh. and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the mm. journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Uh-huh. Then they went up and out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to I Jacob, their father.
0: Maybe he anticipated that going back again, like they've gotten nervous on every other trip that they took because uh. they find the money in the sacks or something goes horribly wrong, uh-huh. and they're worried about it. So he says, Don't sweat it. I'm not going to change my mind. <laughs> We're fine. Mm-hmm. You go get your father. Bring him back. We're going to be good.
1: Okay, so, and they told Jacob, saying, Joseph is still alive. Yeah, so
0: he doesn't know this yet. They didn't have Uh cell phones. You know, he's sitting back there in the the Holy Land, and he has no idea.
1: (laughs) Joseph is still alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt.
0: Interesting term, isn't it? Governor over all the land of Egypt. That's right. This is a picture of the Lord in our lives. Go on.
1: And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them.
0: It's a lot like the, uh, you know, here's another piece of good news, and it's just like it It almost kills him. You know, uh, it's funny how uh, good news can be hard to take sometimes, but he, he just, he, he can hardly believe it. Mm-hmm.
1: But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived.
0: Curious that the carts were kind of a good piece of evidence that th- he was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Go on.
1: Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die.
0: And if you notice here the name Jacob, Jacob and Israel will be alternating. It's the same person. Mm-hmm. But Israel means something internal and Jacob means something external. Uh, go on. Let's read on here to verse 7.
1: So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father
0: Isaac. Listen to this. This is an interesting little detail.
1: Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob.
0: See, Jacob is equals Israel, but it's meaningful how it switches back and forth.
1: And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father, Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. I think
0: that's a reference to his his dying. He's of of the tender age, Mm -hmm. as you may be aware, of 130 at this point.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, But he will live long enough to see Joseph and live down there for 17 years, we learn later. Go on. Mm.
1: Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters.
0: Interesting, we only ever hear about one daughter, but the daughters are in the plural here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go on.
1: With all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt.
0: And then it has a little genealogy of everybody. And so you see down in verse 26 that there were 66 people. Uh, so all told, once you added the Egyptian family, Joseph had married an Egyptian woman and had two you know, half-Egyptian children or whatever, that there were 70 people who came down to Egypt. Let's pick up at verse 28 there.
1: Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. There they are. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel.
0: We're still getting this knitting, aren't we? Like they're coming down, he's going up to meet, the. you know, it's still things are being knitted together. Go on.
1: And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good
0: while. A good while, that's right.
1: And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive.
0: And that is very reminiscent to me of Simeon saying, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, for I've mm-hmm. seen you. You know, there's a sense of waiting and waiting, and then you get to, get to see him. Okay, and... Um, Yes. Okay. That's good. Uh, Let's skip down here. There's great great awesome awesome stuff. Let's go to 47 verse 11. There's a fascinating discussion about how he tells them what to say to Pharaoh about whether they're shepherds or they work with cattle and they say the wrong thing and everything. But we'll skip over that and uh, in verse 11.
1: And, And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land. Best of the land. In the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families.
0: Okay, I want to draw on the board here just for the sake of our discussion later. Not drawing, I just want to write the word um, Goshen here in the middle that you had Goshen, which was the best of the land of Egypt. And then surrounding Goshen, you had the rest of the land of Egypt. It was supposed to be the most excellent place for them to be able to take care of their flocks and everything. And then surrounding the land of Egypt, you had all the other nations. And all of them, as you may recall, were subject to this terrible famine at that time. They were all, they were all starving. Okay, go on.
1: Uh, can you remind me what verse we're on?
0: We are around <laughs> verse 13, I think. Okay.
1: forty-seven, thirteen. 13. Oh, yes. Yeah. Then Joseph, pro- okay. Okay, provided br- bread for all their families. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine.
0: Uh, Joseph had been revealed through Pharaoh's dream. He had seen that there was going to be seven good years and then seven years of famine. And all this is happening only two years in. So they got five more years to go of the famine. Uh, But the Israelites are now here in the center of the land of Egypt instead of up in the... And and Joseph and Benjamin and the family are all, all together now. Go on. Now listen to this. This is fascinating to me. Look at what happens here as a result of this famine.
1: And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house.
0: Okay, so the whole land of Egypt and the whole Holy Land were the only place that had any uh, food was down in Egypt because Joseph had been storing it up for seven years. Twenty percent of it, all the produce for, and it was abundant. For seven years, he'd stored it all up. So now he had plenty. Everybody else is starving. So he got all this money from all, all the land of Egypt and uh, also the, the land of Canaan.
1: So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan.
0: Ah, eventually you run out of money. They have to buy grain. They keep buying grain. And then pretty soon they got no more money. So now what?
1: All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed.
0: Yes, so they're (coughs) saying, we have no money to pay you, but what's the point of our just dying now? Please, you know, give us food. And what does he say?
1: And Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone.
0: So they got to the point where all the money ran out, and then he said, Well, do you have livestock? Yeah, we still have livestock. Said, okay, how about you give that to me in payment, and I'll give, you, I'll give you food. This is very important, the meaning of this. Go on.
1: So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, horses the flocks, flocks. The, cattles of the, mm-hmm. the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year.
0: That year. Okay, that's that year. The famine rolls on. Go on.
1: When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of, li- of livestock.
0: So you see what's going on? We don't have any more money than we had last year. And you already own all our cattle. But we are still starving. What can you do for us?
1: There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands.
0: Oh, themselves, our bodies, and our lands. That's all. That's all we got left. So what does he say? What do well, they say?
1: They say, why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Hmm. Buy us and our land for bread, mm. and we and our land will be servants of
0: Pharaoh. We will be servants of Pharaoh. So they're going to sell themselves. Rather than starve to death, they're going to sell themselves and their land. So, wow, what a fantastic business opportunity for Pharaoh. You know, he's able to <laughs> gather up the, all the money, all the, uh, you know, everything, um, uh, all the livestock, and all the people and their land. Because they're just going to starve without it. Go on.
1: Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's.
0: Look at that. So everything... it. it it might rub you the wrong way, but if you think about Joseph as being the Lord, uh, what this depicts is a situation in which step by step you give yourself entirely to the Lord. And the famine that drives us through this is the situation that, that, where you realize, I can't run my own life. I don't know what I'm doing here, of whatever form it takes you get tired of the suffering or, or whatever it is, and you just say, okay, well, first of all, I'll give all my money. And that to my mind just means this basic kind of level of obedience. Like I, I will obey what the Lord, says because my life is not working. So I'll obey what the Lord says. But the famine continues. So you go back with your heart and your mind, your livestock, and you just say, well, I've got no more money but i can give you my heart and my mind to the lord you know and then when that runs out the next year you say okay my whole soul don't we read that we are to love the lord our god with all our heart with all our mind with all our strength and uh, some of those lists have soul in there and, and so on i think it's an image i may not have all the equivalents right but I think it's an image of just giving ourselves wholly and entirely and without reservation to the Lord, and holding nothing back. And it takes a couple of years. It doesn't all happen at once. And what I like about it is that Joseph doesn't go around banging on doors. He's not strong arming them. It's not like gang tactics, there's warlord thing or something like that. They initiated the deal. they came to him and they said, "We freely, you know, we're going to starve." Would you take us? And he graciously said, sure. You know, we've still got land. And so it's a good deal for him. It's a good deal for them. Everybody stays alive. And, it, and he's able to buy all this up. So it's a picture of the Lord taking over in our lives. And there's this wonderful quote when Swedenborg's discussing this passage where he says that the Lord wills a complete and total submission and not, not that we be partly our own and partly the Lord's. Uh, and it's, it's not out of evil. It's not for evil. It's not that he wants to dominate us. It's like that's how it works the best. The whole nation works better. And part of what's going on is that Joseph is uniting and organizing the whole thing. I mean, look at how, you know, the whole thing literally belongs to him and Pharaoh now. You know, he, he's just 100% in charge and, and it's, his, it's his world. So this is a picture of what it can be like when the Lord is, imagine a situation. It's not too hard to imagine Uh, there are chaotic things in our world, are there not? Can we imagine getting to the point where we realize, man, we can't go on like this. Uh, Let's give our obedience to the Lord. And then we think, it's not enough. Let's give our hearts, let's give our minds, let's give our whole souls and everything we are to the Lord. Uh, And look at how Joseph, he took over, if you're familiar with the passage, or if you heard these Bible studies a few weeks ago, when he was uh, in Potiphar's household as a slave, He took over and Potiphar didn't even know what anything was. Just like a meal appears in front of him and he, you know, like Joseph just takes over. And when Joseph, in a good way, Potiphar just handed him everything. When he got into the prison, very quick, in a couple of verses, he was in charge of everybody in the prison and everything that happened in the prison, Joseph was in charge. It's a picture of how the Lord can take over for us in a benevolent way. And uh, of course, our lower selves rebel against this idea of like, no, no, I don't, well, you can sit out the famine some more if you like, but, but when it gets too bad, uh, there's some place you can go. Somebody's got something for you that Joseph can take care of you. And you get to the point where you want to give your entire uh, life over to the Lord. Uh, good, 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 good. Oh, and, and look down at uh, verse 24.
1: And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own.
0: Even th- though they'd sold themselves to Pharaoh in effect, he says four-fifths can be yours, but he demands a double tithe, 20%, right? That, that because, because he technically bought them all and bought all their land. Uh, 20% goes to them and the rest is for the people. Go on
1: four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households and as food for your little ones. And what do they say? So they said, you have saved our lives. Yeah,
0: you've saved our lives. Are they upset about the deal? Do they want to strike? No, they love it. you've, (laughs) You've saved our lives. You know, we ran out of money. We didn't know what to do, but you saved our lives. That's right.
1: Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. That's
0: right. And so they grew and they multiplied there in verse 27, and Jacob lived in the land for 17 years. So Jacob got to be 147 years old. And uh, now he he blesses his children before he's going to die. I want to skip over here, if you could. Um, to 49, verse 33, at the very end of... It, he, Jacob blesses all his, uh, his 12 sons uh, in, as he's getting ready to die. And then here he dies in 49, 33 there.
1: And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people.
0: I love that phrase. It uses it a lot in the Old Testament to be gathered to your people. That When you die, that's what happens. Okay, now chapter 50 has some interesting stuff and you'll notice this is the last chapter in Genesis, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The Joseph story is a huge part of Genesis. Let's go on.
1: Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. Mm. And the the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. 70 days. The Egyptians. Mm. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back.
0: I love this sort of gracious thing. If I found grace in your eyes, like, wow, you know, (laughs) you've been hitting it out of the park since you walked through the door. Sure, you can have anything you want. So Pharaoh says.
1: Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh. Wow. The elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt.
0: Interesting image again, isn't it? That all the elders so interesting. Egypt and and, and Canaan are coming together in an interesting way here, and all these the nobility of, of Egypt are going up here to celebrate uh, you know, these sort of funeral passage of Jacob.
1: As well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house. Mm. Listen to this little detail. Only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen.
0: Now, it's very, very curious because uh, we'll just put as a little footnote that when it comes later, when the, the children of Israel have become enslaved in the land of Egypt, they ask to leave and go out of the wilderness for three days to worship their God. And that Pharaoh, who's an evil Pharaoh, says to them, you can go, but not your children or your flocks. So you know it's this same circumstance here, but this was voluntary, and, and, and Moses says, no deal. We've all got to go, kind of thing. Go on.
1: And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Mm. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation,. Mm. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. Yes. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mitzrayim, which is beyond the Jordan.
0: Nicely done. And isn't it interesting that the Canaanites don't see them as Canaanites. The Canaanites see them as Egyptians you know oh look the Egyptians are mourning so they they're recognized as an Egyptian group
1: so his sons did for him just as he had commanded them for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place
0: okay now so this is 17 years we know from the text 17 years after Joseph was reunited with his brothers and his father and the families all together, and Joseph's been taking care of them, giving them the nicest part of the land of Egypt and all that kind of stuff. So behold what happens next.
1: And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him.
0: You may know the story that they actually sold him into slavery and uh, they were planning to kill him and then one of the brothers talked him out of it and everything. And so even though this is years and years, even later than when they got together, which was years and years after it happened. So this would be 17 years later and then there was 14 years after that, so 31 years or something after these events. They're still haunted. And so what do they think? What I think this represents is that they think that Joseph has only been nice to them all this time because because of the father. Because it would break the father's heart if he took the revenge he really wanted to take on all those lousy brothers. Mm -hmm. The father would be upset. So for the sake of dad, we won't do it yet. But now dad is dead. So they're thinking... Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, you know, Dad's not here anymore, so we may get it now, you know, because they're still sort of harboring this sense of guilt for what they had done, which is kind of a shame because that's just not who Joseph is. But, okay, another little test. Let's see if Joseph passes the test.
1: (laughs) So they sent messengers to Joseph saying...
0: And listen to what they say.
1: Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph... I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin.
0: This conversation never occurred. You know, they're making this up. But rather than them coming to say, we're worried you're going to kill us, you know, they have to say, oh, Dad said when you weren't in the room one time, uh, oh, be sure and tell him not to kill all you guys. Uh, You know, they're still a little slimy, but go on.
1: Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. <laughs> now, please. <laughs> so they're
0: putting a confession that they did evil into the mouth of into their the father, father in this fictitious statement. Okay, go on.
1: Okay, so that's the end of what Jacob said. Yes. Now, they're saying, now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father.
0: Now, how does Joseph react? Is he angry or says, oh, that gives me an idea or something? What, what does he do?
1: And Joseph wept when they spoke he wept. to him.
0: He wept. I don't know why he wept, but it seems like, wow, I've just been cranking the love for you guys, you know, for 17 years here, taking care of your whole family, and you still think I hate you. Uh, Mm -hmm. It just makes me sad Mm -hmm. that you're carrying that burden because it's so unnecessary. That's not where I am at all. Go on.
1: Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face.
0: Ah, That is a very important moment, because if you know the story, he had these dreams when he was young, when he was 17 years old. He had dreams that the rest of his family was bowing down to him. Now, when they came down to Egypt looking for grain, he was all dressed up as an Egyptian, and they bowed down before him. But they had no clue he was Joseph. They were bowing down before zaphnath Paniah, the the head of Egypt. (coughs) But now they know he's Joseph. And they're bowing down before him, knowing that he's Joseph. Mm -hmm. That's that's very interesting. Go on. And what do they say?
1: Fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants.
0: Yeah. Now they are willingly placing themselves in the situation of surrender to him and saying, we're your servants.
1: Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God?
0: And then he has an interesting little speech.
1: But as for you, you meant evil against me.
0: Yeah. He's not sugarcoating the situation. You did mean me harm. You know, let's be straight with one another. So he's not just sort of, oh, you guys are full of love. I, you could never hurt a flea. You know, no, he says, you, you meant, you did mean me harm. Let's we'll put that out on the table. Sure. You know, I, I hear what you're saying. But,
1: but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive.
0: Yes, God meant it for good to bring it about to save many people. I don't see any connection with Jesus there. <laughs> to save Something about saving a lot of people, I, I don't see a connection. Uh, but apparently there is one somewhere buried underneath there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when people rose up and they, they killed Jesus, did they... Mean to give him a nice day or something. No, they, they, you know, they meant evil against him. But still, that was for good, to save many people, because by being fully glorified, he would be the Savior forever, and so on. Uh, go on. And so what does he say in verse 21?
1: Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them.
0: This guy is good. I like Joseph. He's, he's a good guy, isn't he? He speaks kindly and comforting to... No, don't worry. I I get it. You feel guilty and you think I'm angry or whatever. That's not who I am. Uh, You're fine. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your kids. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Mm -hmm. Even though they should have been comforting him. But, you know, uh, we're way past that point. Uh, Let's just read the the rest Rest. of this, shall we, and finish off the story.
1: So Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's household... And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children... To that's the, his son. ...to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh... His other son. ...were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying... But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So
0: as he's dying, he's anticipating that there will be the exodus, you know, mm-hmm. that they'll they'll leave Egypt and they'll go back to the Holy Land.
1: Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Mm. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Where? In Egypt.
0: In Egypt, yeah. In Egypt. Mm, What a fascinating character who is so much of Egypt. Married an Egyptian wife, spoke Egyptian, uh, became an integral part of the whole Egyptian thing and yet he was also thoroughly An Israelite on the inside. Okay, so we've we've seen how he was uh, an Israelite on the inside, and following in a very beautiful way these commandments about love, loving God, loving your neighbor, and all that. Just a good person. And no matter what you did to him, he just sort of came up upright. He never sort of went to hell about it. You know, he, he. He just kept being good and kept hanging in there and and eventually came into this position to do people an enormous amount of good through being this Egyptian. Uh, Can you see, good friends, so he had Israelite on the inside and Egyptian on the outside. There's Goshen on the inside, the land of Egypt on the outside, and all the other nations. Do you see how he turned... The known world into a picture of himself, his image. Israelite on the inside with the shepherds, the flocks. Then you have the Egyptians. It's all organized. Do you remember when? Do you remember when um, Joseph uh, in, in a previous week, if you were with us or if you read that story, that he when he got all the brothers together uh, and they still didn't know who he was, he seated them all in the right order around the table, and they were all looking at each other like. Whoa. You know, they were amazed, like they were all seated in the right order of their age. That's because when the Lord comes in, where the Lord is present there is order, and where there is order the Lord is present. He has this organizing effect. And so when He comes in, He structures everything. This is actually also a picture of heaven, that Goshen is the highest heaven where you have the sheep and the lambs and the flocks and so forth. You know, that's the highest heaven, and then the land of Egypt is like the spiritual heaven. It's the next one down that's more about truth and, and all that kind of thing. And so for this time, the land of Egypt becomes a picture of, of heaven because it has this at the center, the best the best land here. And this is a picture of how Joseph himself was an Israelite here, but an Egyptian here. It's like he embodied this whole thing. And then all these other nations, all these other nations that got grain from him and were saved by it, or the picture of the outermost heavens. Uh, so He turned the whole land into an image of that d- divine quality, of that love. And this is a picture of how, how heaven works, that when the Lord comes into this situation, all this gets organized, it all gets united. You remember how the whole land of Egypt got united because when they ran out of money, they had to give their livestock when they ran out of the livestock, then they gave themselves and their land, the whole thing became the Lord. So this was the Lord's, this was the Lord's, and all the other nations were kept alive by this. So that's a beautiful picture. Okay. Uh, All right. Another thing I want to say about this is, uh, unlike most things I say, this this one gets a little far out. See if you can hang in there. I may not be right either, but, uh, but I had this interesting picture that um, this is a picture, the picture of, I'm pointing to, to Joseph as the governor of the land of Egypt with an Egyptian name, knowing the Egyptian language, Egyptian wife and all that. Uh, actually, the Egyptians have a connection with him as an Egyptian before the brothers have a connection with him as an Israelite, if you see what I mean, and when the Egypt and when the the Israelites come in, when the they can only see him as an Egyptian, they don't they don't see him yet for what he really is inside. And actually, I think this is a picture. So weird. Maybe I shouldn't say it. The um, that actually in this world Jesus was more recognized at first than he was in heaven. It took a while before heaven could recognize him. Uh, In some ways the family represents something of heaven or of the church or and so on and that in on that this is the spiritual level he's spiritual on the inside and earthly on the outside. The earthly world recognized him and what he was able to do, they didn't care whether, what nationality he was or whatever. It just works. We get grain, we're kept alive. It's, it's working for us. Uh, but heaven uh, didn't come to understand that he was Joseph for quite a while. Uh, and Swedenborg says some interesting things about this, that, that there were things that the Lord did while he was in this world in order to prove to the heavens that he was who he was. That he, that he was a real thing. You know, I would have thought the heavens would just be like all over that and they would get it immediately or something like that. But no, they, they, they had to kind of find out and, and get on board. Uh, so I see a hint of that in there. That's just too weird. Um, another image that you see here, look at these two. you got, you got Joseph, uh, the Israelite, and you have zaphnath paneah the Egyptian. I think there's also a picture in here that relates in some way to the Lord's life in this world and, and the Easter story and everything we've been talking about, which is that, think about the perspective of the brothers, they know there's somebody named Joseph, but they think he's dead or he's offline or something, you know, he, he's not in the picture. And then there's this Zafnath who's somebody who's completely different, he's harsh, he's not at all like this person. They're two completely separate people. God the Father, God the Son. Two completely separate people. What you find out is that they're the, same, they're the same person. But it takes them a while to get there. They don't see that that's the same person. So this is very much like believing that, oh, well, there's God the Father who's up in heaven. He's miles away. He doesn't care whatever he is. And then we've got this Joseph who's taking the care of us here. He's our Savior and so on. But he's completely separate from Joseph. I mean, he's Zafnath mm-hmm. Panei. He's, he's. you know, there's this two separate people, uh, two completely different people. And something about the Joseph story seems to me to uh, also foreshadow uh, this kind of prediction. It supports this prediction that Swedenborg makes that in time, uh, this will eventually be realized that Jesus is God. He he is Jehovah. That's the same same person. He looks different. I'll grant you that. Different language, different whatever. This this is in the world. This is up in heaven. But they're the same person. And eventually the brothers come. They don't realize that right away. It takes them a while to get there. But eventually they get to the point of realizing, oh, wait, I think these are the same. So I think you even have kind of a, a hint in here of... Christianity version 1.0, when there's a recognition of these, but only as two. You know, that there's God the Father, and then there's the Son, there's the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit separate and all that. And, uh, and only in Christianity version 2.0 do people start to realize that, oh no, that is Joseph. You know, he gets revealed. That divine love that makes him weep and, and so on uh, gets revealed. Okay, good. Uh, I think of his time in this world as his becoming the Lord of Egypt. What does he say at the very end of his life after he's resurrected, actually? Let's go look at this for a second, shall we? Matthew 28, verse 18. Very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the New Testament there. He's resurrected. I'm so interested in the fact that, that, that Jesus had these 12 disciples and uh, at the time that he died, like Judas had hung himself, so there was 11, and at the time that he died and was resurrected, when he came and they saw him in the, right after the Easter story, they don't recognize him. Nobody recognizes him. Isn't that like the 11 brothers who come and see Joseph? And they see him, but they don't recognize him. They don't don't know who it is. I just think that's interesting, the the not recognizing thing. Um, uh, Okay, let's read 28, 18.
1: And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth.
0: All authority, and a very similar translation uh, in the Old King James, all power, all power is given to me in heaven... And on earth. In heaven, Joseph, and on earth, Zaphnath paaneah All power. He, he rules Egypt, but he's also, and doesn't he say, maybe you remember that phrase from last week, that Joseph says that he was a father to Pharaoh. Joseph was a father to, to Pharaoh. Very striking, striking statement. And so this is a picture of being uh, in charge of the heavens. And in charge of this world. This is what was so amazing. I think this is a picture of Jesus here because He is a citizen of both worlds. And uh, He exists up here first and then He comes down here and becomes the Lord of this whole realm. Uh, As you may have heard me say before, the only reason that He's in this position of there's a nominal head of the country and then He's number two even though he actually runs everything and he's referred to as the Lord of all Egypt or the governor of Egypt and so on, is that that's a picture of ourselves. When we give ourselves entirely to the Lord, we let him run the whole show. He's capable of running the whole show. He can supply the feelings that we ought to have. He can supply the thoughts that we ought to have, the impulses that bring memories to mind. The whole. He's capable of running the whole show, but he just needs our permission to do that. He doesn't charge in and say, hey, you have to you know become my my slave to stay alive or something he's just he's just there, and they come to him and they say, "Hey, please, this is not working well. uh let me become part of this." Um, okay, and um, I think I've covered a lot of things I scribbled about in here. <laughs> the presence of the Lord orders and organizes everything. Okay, and uh, my last thought about this. Is that uh, scripture? Scripture is, um, it's actually, and people don't understand this. And when you read scripture on a purely literal level, you think Joseph is just purely Egyptian. You, you really don't understand who that is. Uh, but actually, scripture functions on multiple levels. And it is apart from time and space, and it's also non-linear. So it has multiple layers of meaning. You can say this part of the story, you can see this part applies to this aspect of the crucifixion, this applies to that part, and so on. And and I like the fact, I like the idea that's been coming to me lately, that even those three years that the Lord was in this world preaching and teaching and so forth. See, there was a moment of baptism, wasn't there, where, he, where the, the, you know, the dove descended on him and so forth. Uh, that was a little miniature of what was going to happen during the next uh, years. And it's been striking me lately that what happened in those next few years was itself a miniature of what will happen very gradually over a long, long period of time. And I'm excited about the thought that when you see this picture of Joseph being able to unite these things in himself, the first thing he does, how does he know what what to do? But the first thing he does is he unites the land of Canaan and Egypt in himself. He is 100 percent of both. I was very struck tonight when they go back. And here's this whole group of Canaanites and Egyptians. And the Canaanites say, look, there's a bunch of Egyptians mourning. You know, they just look like nothing but Egyptians to them um, when they're over there. He, um, I think there's a picture here of getting to the point where our world, where the Lord comes into our world so powerfully and where we start to recognize, very gradually, we start to recognize the divine love. I was moved by last time's Bible study and the thought that um, he, it, it was actually at the limit of his ability. It's so bizarre that he was trying to hide who he really was from them for as long as possible. But he finally gets to the point where he breaks down it's just too much. He breaks down, he just weeps out loud because he's actually been uh, to some extent Covering or hiding that divine love that was there that tremendous love and knowledge of the brothers that he had and And in order to get together with them He needed to act like something very different than he was and then eventually he's able to show his hand Well one way of looking at this I think the whole of in a certain way the whole of Christianity version 1.0 Has been that first part before he's recognized You know it's this whole interchange and they even have a dinner together and so on but they don't really know who he is he knows who they are, but they're not with him yet. And then finally they get together. There's this Benjamin element that, that is there and you get this reciprocal conjunction going and he's able to go get them and move them all down here so everybody's together in the same place. So you have them in the land of Goshen, they have their herds and their flocks, they're taken care of and they, and they multiply, and they thrive in this circumstance and the land of Egypt is just totally with it. They love it. They love having them there. They help them go up when it's time to bury Jacob and, and everything. They're, they're all part of this. So the Lord has united the whole land. Uh, picture a time. We're told to pray for it, to pray that the Lord may come with light. Picture a time when the Lord is coming into our world where he, he gets recognized, uh, not in the flesh, He's not going to come in the flesh again. He's no more, the act to return to corruption. He's not coming back in the flesh. That's a common mistake that people make. But he will be recognized in the clouds of Scripture. He'll be seen coming in the clouds of Scripture with power and great glory. And he will unite. He will bring people together. He'll bring different elements together. And he'll organize it all so that love is at the center and truth is around here and then usefulness is on the outside and this world will become more and more, the whole world will gradually go through that process described there, where first of all, we give what's meant by our money, you know, something relatively external, but we we give our knowledge, we give understanding or something to the Lord, but then it moves into, no, it's more about a commitment in our minds and hearts that I think is the livestock And then it gets to the point where, no, your whole soul, you're all in, all your land, everything about you, you realize is from the Lord. And you just want the Lord to take over completely. And the Lord wants all the family very, very close by him here, everybody close. And he's happy to have this relationship with everybody and get them all together. I, you know, I'm not doing justice to it, and I don't know if human words could, but it's a beautiful vision of our world. Doesn't it say in the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world have become kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, it says. Uh, this is what we pray for, is it not, friends? That this world will become more and more a place where Joseph is known for who he really is and loved and we're saved by this tremendous storehouse that he has. He has an inexhaustible supply of love and wisdom and insight and guidance to give us and he it's not a problem for him to run the world. It's not a problem <laughs> for him to run the universe. Joseph, you never see Joseph sweating. Is it difficult for him? It's like, "Oh, I've got too many people." It's just you should see my calendar, you know. No, he's <laughs> He's great. He's fine. Bring it on. Everybody, you know, he's got a relationship with everybody. It's easy for him to save so many people. And the last thing I want to say about it is there's a beautiful image in here that's repeated a couple of times that even when we intend evil to one another, even the worst things that we do to each other, the Lord is able to use it for good. What an excellent God he is. And he sees clear-sightedly, yeah, you meant it for evil. But God turned that into something good. So the Lord can heal us. He can speak comfort- comfortingly and uh, kindly to us. We go for a long time still thinking, wait, are you a baddie and you're going to kill us now or something? And the Lord just weeps it's like, oh, man, don't you know who I am? I love you. I love you. Nothing's going to get in the way of that. that. That's the Lord that we worship. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down. We thank you for taking on that role in which you were so misunderstood. Who knew you? The disciples didn't know you Uh, after you were resurrected. They didn't recognize you. They did not know what was going on, even though you told them again and again what was happening, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for taking that on. We envision a day when more and more hearts and minds are turned to you. And when this world becomes your world, when your presence is so powerful in this world so tangible, and when we all just sell ourselves utterly to you, we cash everything in and become 100% yours. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can be one with him and he with us.